Devin Moss grew up Christian, but later rejected his belief in God. He became an atheist and, ironically, a chaplain all at the same time. Uh, eventually, counseling a guy named Philip Hancock, a death row inmate in Oklahoma, also an atheist, who had asked um, Moss to be his spiritual advisor uh, because he had come to feel abandoned by God during his time in prison. During one of their first calls together, Hancock explained to his new spiritual advisor the conundrum that he faced. I want more than anything to believe in something other than this, Hancock said. I just can't do it, though. And then he sent Moss one request. It was drawn, actually, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, and he wrote to Moss, Show me something real, he said. Tell me something true. After more than 100 conversations, their relationship came down to one morning last November 30th, Hancock's date of execution. That last morning, Moss wrote out in a notebook what he planned to say to Hancock in their final minutes together. He rested a hand on Hancock's knee and recited the words that he had written in his notebook. We call the spirit of humanity into this space. Let love fill our hearts. We ask that in this transition into peaceful oblivion, that Phil feels that love. And although this is his journey, that he is not alone. We invoke the power of peace, strength, grace, and surrender. Amen. I share this story not in judgment or in criticism, but with empathy and, and grief. Two searching souls, hungry for something more, but somehow refusing to see. The blind leading the blind, as Jesus put it heartbreaking, and telling. Afterward, back in his car, Moss began to cry. In his hand was the paper where he had written down his final message to Hancock. And there was a sentence fragment that he'd crossed out before he had written, call the spirit of humanity into this space. He had originally written, call the spirit of the divine. Something, and then he crossed it out. Something in him, even then, was hungering for the divine, for God, for more. But he just couldn't go there. Hancock had asked him, tell me something true. And Moss almost did. And that's where I want to take us this morning. People are hurting. People in this room, people in our world. If not facing death then facing life and all of its difficulties. And somewhere in all of us, we have a request. Show me something real. Tell me something true. Today we're wrapping up this series, Our Outlook, by reminding ourselves that we are a church who holds on to, who's discovered and is holding on to what is true. Amen? Now that's not at all unique to this church, Certainly, and biblically should be the case in any and all churches. But we certainly hope that it's deeply real and experienced among us in our church. Paul once described the church to young Timothy as the pillar and foundation of the truth. So, to move through this thought, uh, this topic this morning, I want to introduce three words to navigate us. Maybe three words to remember, to keep 
in mind this morning. And those three words are word, worship, and way. We are a people who search for and who hunger for what is true. And here's how we found what's true and how we keep finding it. Let's start with word. Often you hear me say that if you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can always take one of those off the cart home with you to keep, right? That's because we know just how valuable it is to be able to open up God's Word, to read it for ourselves. In Romans 15, it says, For everything that was written in the past, referring to Scripture itself, was written to teach us. And we recognize that we need taught, don't we? We recognize we have things to learn. And the good Word of God is where we learn the most important things about life. The true Word of God is our source of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Man, what a great description. I don't know about you, but I know I need that in my life, right? To teach me what is true, to make me realize where I'm going wrong, and to teach me how to get back on the right track. God's Word provides that for us, and we're just taking some time this morning to declare, to remind ourselves, to put a stake in the ground, to remind ourselves that God's Word is the foundation upon which we exist as a church, right? That that is the most important thing. God's Word telling us about God, about His Son, about His Spirit in us. So that means that as a church, we spend no small amount of time and effort making sure that we are getting into this Word and getting this Word into us, both corporately, together, privately, in individual lives, as small groups. Everything we do keeps pointing us back to the truth of God's Word because we know we need to hold on to, to find and to hold on to what is true? In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. The word of God is a supernatural gift to us. It is alive and active. If you've spent much time following God, if you've spent much time reading God's word, then you've probably discovered something amazingly true of God's word. And that is it's somehow relevant each time you open it up and read it. It has something new to say, even though it's the same words on the page, right? But it, God uses it by his Holy Spirit to speak to us exactly what we need. You may be very familiar with any number of passages. And yet you can return to a passage, maybe one that you practically know by heart. But on a given day, at a given time, because the Word of God is active, it's alive and powerful, it can be a new and fresh Word to you because the Holy Spirit uses it in amazing ways to help us in our actual day-to-day -day lives. Amen? So we believe the Bible is a supernatural document, a miracle, written by human authors, but inspired and preserved by God. It is a gift and we're glad to have it. It is the source of truth. We love God, so we love His words, right? And the Bible is 
his word. So that takes us to word, but let's look at worship. There's this moment in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to a lady at, uh, at a well. She's a Samaritan. She comes from a different cultural and religious background than Jews, but it's also somewhat, she's kind of uh, Hebrew adjacent, right? She's, she's near the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew religion, but Samaritans were, they had differences. They had differences in their history and in their theology. And they end up getting into this discussion in which she says, hey, you know, there's a lot of debate these days about whether the place to worship is on this mountain or on that mountain, speaking of Jerusalem, and which one is the right place. Kind of reminds me, I've been around long enough now that I can remember just how harrowing it was in some churches, uh, whether or not you'd have a guitar, right? Or drums. That was big. That was big, right? Or whether we wouldn't use a hymnal and we'd project words on a screen, right? Just reminds me of all that kind of thing where it's like, hey, I don't know, do you worship this way or this way, which is the right way? And when they're in this discussion, um, Jesus just bypasses all of that. And he says something super profound He says to her, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. No mountain is necessary, no location. You don't have to have the correct address. It's not about where you are. It's about who you are. It's what's going on inside you. In spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those, he says, who will worship him that way. Think of the song we just sung. One of my absolute favorites. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Right? Or we bring our whole selves in all our mess and in all the things we're learning and in all the things we're, we're working on and in all the things that, that are good and all the things we know that are less than good. We bring it all to him in spirit and in truth. In the spirit, as Jesus puts it here, if it means anything, it means wholeheartedly, at least, from our spirit, from the center of ourselves. And in truth, at least, means honestly, right? Based on reality as God defines it. What we got to do this morning, just here, that we do every Sunday morning, the chance to join our brothers and sisters and open our hearts before him, hear ourselves and hear each other sing and say out loud how great he is, how much we love him, how worthy he is of our worship. That is a beautiful thing that should not be underestimated. We are a worshiping community. So worship in spirit and in truth, our hearts are in it. Worship is our expression of our love for God from fully and full devoted, full and fully devoted hearts. Our true worship from the spirit. And Jesus says God is looking for sincere, wholehearted worshipers, people who just want to declare how great he is. Not good singers, thank God, right? Just people devoted to him, desiring to bring him glory through their lives. We Uh, Do what Christians have been doing from the start, gathering for worship with our whole hearts, in songs and in prayers, in reading and in teaching, in baptisms and in communion. We are a worshiping community. And this worship forms us. Something happens in us each time we gather for worship. It's formative. More than singing, of course, our whole life resounds with the desire to glorify God, to live in harmony with God. That's what Paul is getting at when he talks about worship this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He's reminding his readers, and we need reminded of it today, that worship is, isn't about that hour on Sunday morning necessarily, or the way that with the songs that we sing or how we sing them. Ultimately, it's an expression of our whole lives. He says, give your bodies to God, meaning give your whole selves to him as an offering. Give your whole life to him in worship. See, our word worship was originally the old English word worth-ship. And in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, it speaks to devoting ourselves to God as he deserves, fully devoting ourselves. So when we worship something, we are affirming its great worth to us. That's what worship is. To worship something is to declare it worthy of our life's devotion. When you think about it that way, we have the potential to worship any number of things, right? relationships, career, anything that we think has become the number one thing worthy of our highest allegiance. For us as God lovers and Jesus followers, worship is expressing our love and awe of God, the one, the only one worthy of our worship. And how do we worship? By offering our bodies, as he puts it, as living sacrifices, our whole selves. What you do with your body is what you're doing with your life. Where you go, you go in your body. What you do, you do in your body. So he's using that as a way to say your whole self, nothing held back. True worship is deciding what's worth most to us and devoting our whole selves to it. We will always sacrifice one thing for whatever we believe is of higher worth or more worthy of our worship, so to speak. We may sacrifice, fi sacrifice financial gain for time with our kids, right? Because they're worth more, we've determined. We may sacrifice time at work uh, or out with friends or enjoying a hobby so we can invest time with our spouse because we've decided they're worth more. We may choose to sacrifice sleep or activities or travel so we can feed our soul and calibrate our character by staying engaged with our church family and with God because he's worth more. It's a decision we're always making all the time. So worship of God is making choices throughout our lives that keep him in first place. Decision after decision, priority after priority, we're continually deciding he's worth the most, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think that's, that's a basic summary of what we're talking about here. So we may say, I'm going to church to worship God. That's good. But I can also go to school to worship God or to work. I can run errands to worship God, visit a family member or take a walk to worship God. And what a world this would be, what lives we would live as we continually learn what it means to worship God with our whole selves. Sounds pretty good to me, right? So word and worship, there's just no replacing these two in, lives, in our lives as Christians when it comes to seeking truth, understanding truth, being people who hold on to what is true. And they both lead us then to this idea of a way, a way of wisdom, a way of life as students of Jesus. And to illustrate this, what I actually want to do is go back to the verses we've already read and kind of read what you might say is their second half, the second half of the thought 
that was introduced in the original verse. And just begin do a little quick biblical survey here of the way of truth in the life of a Christian. And the first one we'll see is that the way of truth, the way of wisdom in the life of a Christian is a way of nonconformity. Let's go back to Romans 12 real quick. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your whole bodies to God for all that he's done for you, a living and holy sacrifice. This is the way we truly worship him, right? And then he goes on, very next breath, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Because that's what happens when we worship him. It leads, truth leads somewhere. Absorbing, digesting, internalizing, metabolizing the truth that we're constantly receiving in word and in worship changes us, changes the way we think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So don't conform to the patterns, the rhythms, the ways of the world, he says. Because worshiping God will help you move away from that. We recently celebrated Dr. King's birthday. He once said that Christians are to be transformed nonconformists. And I really like that. Transformed nonconformists. It's hard not to think that Romans 12 might have been in his mind when he said that because it so beautifully captures the thought that we just read. When we worship the God of the universe, we will not be so prone to fall in line with the puny posturing of whatever's popular or so-called political power, or this world's priorities of wealth or influence or appeal, will be nonconformists because we're worshiping the one true God of the universe, marching to his beat, aligning ourselves to his truth. Another aspect of this way is that it is a way of integrity. Back to Hebrews 4, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It concludes, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, let me tell you, no one naturally wants this to happen. I don't want my innermost thoughts and desires exposed. I bet you don't either. Not really. Not even to ourselves half the time, right? But when we live lives devoted to the truth, open before God's open word, we become people who understand that there's some deep surgery that we could benefit from by having our hearts open. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And when we let God's word do its work in us, we've become increasingly people of growing integrity because we're letting ourselves be examined, be, be reflected. We're learning from God's word in that way. Another aspect of this way is that it is a way of deep spirituality. Back to John 4 for a moment in Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. True worshipers, he says, will worship the Father. That's the kind of worshipers the Father is looking for. And then he drops this knowledge, for God is spirit. In case you didn't know it, and it might have been more news at the time than it would be to you and me with the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That truth is found in the idea that we are deeply spiritual people. That in fact, our spiritual lives are our lives. It's the engine of our life. It's the center of our life. It's the seat of our heart. In any formation that we're undergoing, any, any character development that's happening in us has to do with our spirit in the end. It's the very center of who we are. And Christians are people whose spirits have been 
awakened, whose spirits have been made alive. And that becomes uh, our reality as we live the way of Jesus. It's a spiritual way, not just some, not just logistical way, not just a kind of a physical way, a material way. It's a deeply spiritual way. There's one point in which the Apostle Paul says something like spiritual, spiritual truths are spiritually discerned, right? That there's a new level of knowledge that we experience as Christians, thanks to the Holy Spirit in us, teaching us. It's a way of deep spirituality. It's also a way of ministry. Back to Paul's words to Timothy for just a moment. All scripture is inspired by God, he said. It's useful, right? To teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong. Corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. And then he says this, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses his word so that you and I can do good work in this world. That's where that deep spirituality I just mentioned is balanced by a, a, a work ethic, by a, a, a sense of service to our fellow human beings, that, that it's not just going deep into spirituality and knowledge of God's word for the sake of knowledge of God's word. As we keep ourselves open before that word, God uses it to make us ready to do good work in this world. That is another word for ministry, another way of saying ministry. Every Christian is called to, equipped to, a life of service to others, which is another way of describing ministry. God's word does that in us. It's part of the way of a Jesus follower. And then one more, back to Romans 15, we see that it is also a way of hope. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, it said, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Hope is hard to find in our world today. At least I find it sometimes a little hard to find. God's word helps me in that regard. Endurance, encouragement, who doesn't need these, right? And they bring something into our lives. They bring hope. We begin to see life in a broader perspective, in a deeper one, a more eternal one, thanks to our minds being filled with God's truth. We begin to see things in a far larger context. And we can, even when it's hard to find, we can find ourselves being hopeful. And we need hope, do we not? We do. So, word, worship, way, it is a, there's a wisdom to life. And we, as a church, always want to be a people who are searching for, who are hungering for what is true. This is how we find it and keep finding it through God's holy word, through worship of our holy God, and in walking in his holy way. Now, if the kind of church I've, I'm describing and have been describing this past month is one you'd like to learn more about being a part of, let me invite you, you heard Kate mention it in the video, to something we call Membership FAQ. It's today, after second service, in the Children's Center. Appetizers and child care are on us. 
That verse that Hancock, if you recall, the inmate in the prison there asking for advice from a guy named Moss, that verse Hancock mentioned in his request was Philippians 4, 7 through 8. And it goes like this. After exhorting his readers to go to God in prayer about whatever is on their mind, Paul writes these words, words that meant something to this spiritual searcher. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about such things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That is who we are and who we'll always aim to be. Amen? Amen. Speaking of our church, we've been taking some time over the last few weeks here to consider what's next in terms of our own future here at Outlook. What's the next wisest step as a congregation in what has been a long and beautiful journey as a church? And we've been doing that by providing the really compelling context of our church's history over the last 150 years. So two weeks ago, we started with our founding in 1866. Last week, we looked at our steps that started in 1909. Today, we're going to look at our next chapter. And so let's enjoy this video for a few minutes, and then I'll be back to say a few more words and to wrap us up. Enjoy this video. The story of Outlook Christian Church began more than a century and a half ago, in 1866, on the corner of Church Street and Oaklandon Road. In our first 100 years, our church was a pillar of the Oaklandon community. We called two different addresses home during that time, and we continually grew in number, with an unwavering purpose of winning our neighbors to Christ. Once again, it was time to build, and our church adopted its third address, it was now the 1960s, and the civil rights movement was going strong, and the decade would prove eventful in so many ways. Just a few short weeks after our 100th birthday, Oaklandon Christian Church held its first worship service at 6701 Oaklandon Road in the summer of 1966. The fruition of almost a decade of prayer and planning, including the over and above generosity of its church members. It was a packed house with standing room only. In that same year, the church family added more people than it had ever seen before. And documents show that the church realized they would need to look ahead and formulate a plan once again for future growth. This building holds more than 40 years of our history, including the start of Outlook's preschool and youth sports leagues, both of which continue to engage hundreds of people in our community today. But by the late 90s, the elders of the church assembled a planning committee responsible to look towards the church's future. Their prayer and discernment brought us to the campus we call home today. Members of our church family remember these as precious and exciting years in our church's history. When we came, 
we right away knew that we we belonged and it was uh, 1978, I think. In the late 90s, when we became a part of the congregation, I think we joined our first Sunday, we immediately got into a group. We've just found our niche, both of us, where we felt we could serve the best. It was very Bible-based, making disciples and reaching out to the community. I mean, people were active. Nothing has ever taken the place of being an outlier. It's just been such, you know, such a support group, you know, through life's ups and downs and just everything that, that you experience kept to me growing uh, spiritually. We can't imagine not being part of a church fellowship because that's where the Velcro keeps you in <laughs> the way. So um, it's, it's added immense value to our lives. The big addition was the Family Life Center when that took place, we had a lot of excitement around here. <laughs> we wanted to do a sports ministry to draw people in. Once the drywall was up, <laughs> we had painting parties. And we would gather along a wall or something, and then you could tell where each person left off. <laughs> I remember one Sunday that they actually ran out of parking places, then this is terrible to have to turn people away because we don't have a parking spot for them. We had become landlocked and the opportunity to go up, you know, or go down was just not there. You know, ultimately the fact that we're growing and expanding, we cannot do that here. We needed to move. We didn't want to, we didn't want to have the blacked up all of the grassy area because then we have no place for the sports ministry. We wanted to make sure that yeah. we were on track with what God was in leading, where he was leading us. Yeah. You know, we did have budget restraints and, you know, we wanted to be, you know, as, as helpful and useful as possible and, and resourceful. We gathered and did some cleanup and, yeah. and things like that. You did well, paint. Oh, I remember, yes. Because I know you were up on one of those really high... Yeah, people were willing to pitch in and do whatever it took to get things done. People were invited to come out and write Bible verses. Some of the kids um, chalked scripture on the walls and we'd pray about the people who would come here to be a part of the church family. We are people who commit to God, commit to His Word, and commit to each other. Some of the older people had a big influence on our lives. What they were seeing as the future of our church and now it's our turn and we may not see the total outcome of outlook but we've had a part in it when we're no longer here people will say that church kept doing the job it's neat to see the the outlook's legacy from the standpoint of you know being here in this building seeing the old building right down the street and then now you know outlook it just continues to be it just continues uh, from what we started in 1866 just to continue to tell people about jesus mm. wow it's so good um I'm really excited uh, that we're starting this new initiative called Legacy. 
it is an opportunity to rally together as a congregation and generate our generosity toward our next worthy goal. As these videos have made clear in their beautiful retelling of our church's story, we are a church that is constantly looking to what's next and taking whatever making whatever sacrifices, taking whatever steps are needed to begin to get there. Such progress and united effort have always been a part of our church. And so this important next step for us is moving our mortgage towards zero is a huge step of faith, required huge financial sacrifice and uh, to, to move to this new campus uh, back 15 years ago. And then a few years later, we more than doubled the square footage of the building, which was very needed and necessary. And so now at this point, the single wisest thing we could do when it comes to an over and above um, a chance to, to give, to rally together on a certain uh, specific goal, the wisest next best, best thing we could do is move our mortgage as close to zero as we possibly can. So I, I know uh, because I've seen it so many times in, the, in my years here at Outlook, the way we approach this is always very simple and very straightforward. We make, the, we make the opportunity known to every Outlooker we possibly can. If you call this your church home, if you care about what's going on at Outlook, then our elders discern what the next step is. And then we simply lay that step out before everybody. And then we just ask you to pray. Hopefully you feel as fully informed as you can. And we make every opportunity to get that information out to you. And then we ask everyone to pray. And if everyone prays and if everyone takes whatever step they feel led to take in terms of an over and above commitment for the next three years, we are confident that that is all that needs to happen for the Lord to do whatever the Lord wants to do through this church, his church, because it is his church. Amen. And that has paid off. That is that has worked, so to speak. That has been fruitful every single time that we simply ask God's people to pray. God works through those people. And then the result is what God wants. And we, here we are still today. So if we're talking about a mortgage, though, let me just take a second to share a few bottom line numbers. First, our mortgage, as we start the, the three years in, uh, in uh, March, our mortgage will be $3.7 million. Our total assets here are a little over $9 million. We refied the uh, mortgage just a couple of years ago. We have a really great rate. And we know that as we move through the next three years, our mortgage will be 3.0 by the end of those three years, simply by making our monthly payment. So who knows, and we don't presume to know, but who knows how much less the mortgage could go just in these next few years based on the generosity that we all generate together. Now, I would ask you, if you haven't picked up a print piece, you found, you found a brochure on or near the seat that you're in, if you haven't grabbed one of those, feel free to take one of those home with you. And I also just want to highlight that everything about the Legacy Campaign is online at outlookchurch.org legacy, including the videos as they drop each week. I also want to invite you to email me anytime with any question, comment, curiosity that you may have my door is always open to talk about anything that might be on your mind, this or anything else. 
And then I also want to invite you to two open Q&A sessions. I'm visiting every small group in our church. That's 23 small groups. Just And it's been a great time so far. Thank you for those of you who have already uh, let me uh, stop by. We've had such fun. Um, but uh, if you're not in a small group or you're going to miss your small groups meeting when I'm when I'm there for a few minutes, uh, we are going to do a couple of just open Q&A sessions next Sunday and the Sunday after that, after second service, uh, right over here in room 109, just a chance to show up, ask questions, look at all the info. Always want to make sure you have every opportunity to do exactly that. So uh, my only ask is that we're praying together. Amen. Seeking the Lord for whatever he wants to do through each of us to help his church move into the next chapter of what is 150 plus, almost 160 now, years of, of service to our community. It's a real privilege to be a part of that, I have to say. And I'm really glad you chose to choose to worship together this morning. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for being here. Go in peace.